and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today, I want to talk about moving with purpose from corporate to running your own business to starting your own line. And I'm pleased to welcome Ginger King, who is president of Grace Kingdom Beauty and Fan Love Beauty. Welcome to the show, Ginger. Happy to be here. Can you start by giving us a brief bio? Hi, my name is Ginger King. I'm a cosmetic chemist. I have a consulting business where I help you to launch your own beauty brand from concept to launch. I also can help you after you launch your business because I also own a brand so I can walk the talk. Excellent. So tell me about your first job. What was it and how did you go about getting it? My first job out of college was actually with Dole Foods Company, where I analyzed vitamin C contents in pineapples, orange juice, and lettuce. That's the closest I can get in terms of closest to beauty. However, because of my passion in beauty, I moonlighted weekends and evenings at Macy's at the Estee Lauder counter. And I was actually able to use my passion to solve a problem in pineapple issues. Okay, so... How were you able to solve a problem? How were you able to use your beauty industry experience on your full-time job? And what's the skill that you learned there that you've kept throughout your career? At the time, there was a disease called pink disease in pineapples. That's where pineapples turn dark. And none of the chemists, the scientists know what's going on. At the very same time, while I was working for Estee Lauder on weekends, they just launched the self-tenor. And I figured, you know, it probably be very similar to the DHA reaction. So I bought a bottle of the self-tenor and analyzed it compared to the pineapple disease. And guess what? It's the very same reaction. So I was able to solve a problem using my passion. And additionally, at the counter, I had the first-hand interaction with the consumers. So when I develop products, I'm very keen on consumer experience. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? It's a destination, definitely. Earlier when we were speaking, you said you were born into the industry. Tell me more about that. Yes, my mom was the first woman brought, she said, the boutique from Japan to Taiwan in the 60s. So I grew up in beauty. I didn't realize the impact until later on. You know, when you look and connected the dots, I was like, wow, that's where it started. And when I came to America, I was 16. I fell in love with makeup. I saw the difference for makeup that can turn an ugly duck into a swan. So I was like, wow, I want to become a makeup artist because of my Asian background. I was discouraged to do that. I was encouraged to go to college, if not getting a PhD, at least get a master's degree. Tell me about your first job in beauty as an R&D chemist. My first job in beauty as a cosmetic chemist was with a contract manufacturer, where I do everything in the personal care, skincare, hair care category. There's no color cosmetics at the time. So I was working with the clients and also helping them with marketing story because early on I understand a cream is a cream. If you don't have a story to go with it, it's very hard for your clients to understand what's so special about the cream you developed. That is such a good point. The story is everything. And storytelling is not something that's new. It's something that beauty brands have been doing for a very long time. And for a new company, 
to be successful, they have to understand their niche and what their story is. So how did you get the job, though, in California? Because I was working for Dole Foods in Northern Cal, there wasn't a lot of cosmetic manufacturers. Everyone's in Southern Cal. So I drove six hours to Southern California and basically cold turkey. I knock on everybody's door saying, I want to be a cosmetic chemist, hire me. And I landed my first job in a contract manufacturer. Yes. So I think that people don't really understand what contract manufacturers do. Walk me through some of the brands that you worked with as a contract manufacturer at that first job. And then what a contract manufacturer offers. Contract manufacturer is an extension of your R&D team. If you have one or don't have one, they help you to push our products much faster. And some contract manufacturer will go to the extent of helping you with new technologies. Some contract manufacturer pretty much just swap out the active ingredients, change color, change fragrances. So it depending on what kind of contract manufacturer you work with, but with any brands, usually you will have to work with a contract manufacturer to launch your own beauty business. When did you start working at Joyco? So you started at a contract manufacturer and then you ended up at a brand. Yes, because I always wanted to work for a brand rather than working for a country manufacturer. And that was actually through a network. It was a Christmas party. And I met the VP of Joyco and he's like, would you like to work for me? I was like, sure. So there was no job application or anything. It was high on the spot. Power of networking. Yep. And, you know, kind of using your social skills to expand that network getting to know people. So tell me about the type of products you worked on at Joico. Joico, I did all the hair care product, hair care treatment. And also my claim to fame is actually my Joico Ice Spiker, which I developed about 20 something years ago. And there were like eight different companies copying the exact formula. And the best one that copied the formula, actually they bought Joico like last year. Well, that's funny. I know it's a full circle. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a form of flattery that um, copying what you did, but kind of making a product that changes the game in the industry, like in a category is amazing. So what was it like to see stuff you were creating come to life on people? It's definitely exciting because I supervise the tech salon also with the stylist. So I can also see you know, what they like, what they don't like and modify my formulation. And I think that's a very critical part in my career is I always have that firsthand experience. Like when I work with Lauder, I see how the consumer react. I work with Joico, I see how the stylist react to the products. Oh, that's really important. So after that, you spent a number of years at Avon. Yes. You worked both in cosmetics and hair care. So you took your hair care experience to consumer products. So Joico is more like a salon. You know, consumers can buy it, but it's very... It's a professional salon product. Yeah, it's a professional product. But, you know, it's retail at salons as well. What was the difference moving to a consumer product company in terms of was there any difference? And then how did you like working on color cosmetics? Well, Avon... Even though it's a consumer company, but to me, Avon is like a huge country manufacturer that has all the formulas because their need of constantly turning out with new products because of their catalog. So it's not really like a fair comparison in terms of consumer product versus professional product, except that feeling like a big country manufacturer part. What I learned very differently from Joico is Avon has a lot of different 
department that you really have to have great team skills because you need to work with regulators, you need to work with tax, you need to work with manufacturing. So it's more comprehensive way of doing business. That's important. So you picked up a whole lot of, you know, toolkit, more skills for your toolkit while working at Avon because you were also doing a global role. Correct. What skills did you have to learn expanding products globally? You need to understand the regulatory aspect very well because some product can go into certain countries, some product cannot. You Not only the ingredients, you need to know the percentage limitations. Like when I was in color cosmetics, especially, some pigments can only be used around eye area, some pigment can only be used around lip. And this is the reason why you never want to use a lipstick around the eye area. People can develop allergic reaction to it. That's really interesting because lots of times people say, oh, this is an all-in-one. Or, you know, on photo shoots, the makeup artist will use an eyeshadow to create a pigment for the lip. But in long term, it's not the best idea is what you're saying. Correct. Tell me about building your own business. What made you want to be an entrepreneur? I actually fell into that because after I have many different positions and at the very last position, I was doing cosmetic raw material sales and I actually have a customer wanting to build her own brand and we click really well and was like, why don't I go 50-50 with you? So we started our own skincare brand while I was still working for the raw material company. And also at the same time, I started watch Shark Tank. I was like, wow, this is very fascinating. Entrepreneurship is like, wow, you get to control your own destiny. And so I jump out doing the brand with her. But in the same time, because I can no longer just, you know, working with a raw material company and doing the brand. At the same time, I started my own consulting company because I have all the connections in the beauty industry already. I know all of the country manufacturer and I actually know all the brands like within Sephora and all the different brands. So I do have clients ready for me to work with them. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to go back and just explain what a salesperson for a raw materials company does. A salesperson for raw material company, you know how everybody wants the latest innovation, but if you don't have the raw material to support your innovation, you're not going anywhere. So what my role was, I would gather ingredients from like overseas and I would help to see the application of how this can be used in a new product form or this will have some sort of efficacy. And then I will showcase that to brands saying, hey, you don't have this kind of product in your portfolio. You should consider this. So that's how I sell the raw material. I also work with chemists because chemists constantly need new technologies. So I also help them to formulate ingredients in the product. You used your chemistry knowledge and your R&D knowledge to sell. Yes. Do all raw material salespeople know chemistry like that? Or were you just like a unicorn? I was actually one of the very few salespeople that talked to marketing people directly just because of my background. Most of the people in raw material sales, they are either strictly chemists who just are scientists or they are people who just from the business background. There are very few that know both ends of the business. When you broke out as a entrepreneur, what was the most challenging part of working for yourself or building a business? The most challenging part is uncertainty. It's like a roller coaster because you are paying yourself. You don't have like a steady 
paycheck every month. You are not sure where your next client is going to be. Also, on the brand side, you need to constantly push out contents to attract for customers. So it's actually very hard, but it's also very rewarding. It's one of those high risk, high reward stuff. Oh yes, you're running your own business. You did the skincare line. What made you then look at creating Fan Love Beauty? I actually parted with my partner on the skincare line because she decided she doesn't want to do it, and I. My fan love beauty is because I do have clients asking me, "Can you also help me after you help me to launch the brand from concept to launch?" So I need to walk my talk. I need to be my own example because a lot of clients they always want to know who did you work with. But a consultant, I signed NDA with a lot of clients, so I was like, "Well, why don't you look at my own brand as an example?" And my own brand is not going to be in conflict with yours because it's a very specific type of beauty brand. It's Non-traditional. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. So, partly to walk my talk to show people, I can help you to launch your own brand as well. And it was also inspired by my own celebrity crush mentor, Damon Zhang of Shark Tank. What is the product? It's a vegan lip balm. I call it the stage balm for lips because how it occurred was on March 1st, 2019, I was with Damon at an event. He took out a lip balm and used in front of me. I was like, Damon, if it's something that's so close to you, that's in your pocket, on your lips, it has to be mine. He's always advocate for health should be the number one goal because a healthy person can have a thousand dreams. And looking at landscape of lip balms on the market, I actually don't care for any of them. So, So I created the healthiest lip balm for him to use, and I also said this is a lip balm for speakers because speakers get the lips dry very easily, and instead of keep drinking water that only gonna send you to the bathroom, you use my lip balm before any speaking engagement. This is an important point. Yes, you can't drink a lot of water if you're gonna be a speaker. Start right here is brought to you by. Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. You said something that stuck out to me about if you're going to have something so close to your lips, and this is a clean product, correct? Yes. You're an advocate of clean beauty. Yes. Are the products that you create with your consultant clients also clean? Yes, actually, everybody come to me. They want clean and vegan. It's like a requirement for everyone. And when did you see that change? About three years ago. And do you think this is going to be something that sustains in the marketplace? Yes. I actually get criticized by some cosmetic chemists before saying, you know, you being a cosmetic chemist, you know, you should not tell people like no parabens and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm also a consumer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also a consumer. I mean, there are a lot of studies out there, but I don't want to take any chances. Look at talk. Talk's been used on babies for so many years, and then now you have issues. You'd never want to have issues later down the road, so I'd rather be safe than sorry. I think that's a really good point. And what percentage of cosmetic chemists are women? I would say 80%. 80? Yes. Are women? Yes. Okay, that's good. I thought that you were going to say most of them were men. Interesting, though. I see more men in color cosmetics. It's very strange to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the women are more in skincare? Yes. Okay, got it. So it's not necessarily men that are criticizing you. This could be your own peers that are also women are saying, why are you talking about clean beauty? This particular one is a man. Okay. <laughs> are you looking at doing more products in Fan Love Beauty? Of course. Fan Love Beauty is a different beauty brand because this is like a reverse celebrity. So instead of all the celebrities having their own brand, this is a gift back to the ones that we love. And those people don't necessarily have to be in Hollywood. So I already have another product. It's called the iFix for Entrepreneurs. Because I also want my brand to be entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs, just like FUBU. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah, so entrepreneurs, we actually don't have a lot of time going through the beauty aisles, reading a lot of reviews, you know, checking out what's new. We just want something that will work. And as entrepreneurs, because we don't sleep enough, we will always get some like a dark circles, puffiness under the eye. So this is an eye fix for the entrepreneurs. I target very specific professional groups. So I will have like cream for ballet dancers, you know, like a hand cream for writers. So anyone who inspire, educate, or entertain the society, I may develop a product for them. You've done product development as also a role. Like if somebody's looking to enter the beauty industry, what is the difference between being R&D, cosmetic chemist, product development, contract manufacturer? They are interrelated. I know a lot of people that come to me because, I mean, the first thing they say, oh, I'm looking for a cosmetic chemist. I usually ask them, do you have your branding done yet? Because making a product seriously is very easy. You know, it's not a big deal. But it's the branding that's going to be more important. It's your brand DNA. It's your unique technology. That's why people should come to you. So that's the product development part to make sure you have something. And then the R&D part is to formulate the product according to the product development brief. And the manufacturing is really doing the commercial scale up. So everything is intertwined. You don't really just say, I want a cosmetic chemist. You really want to have the entire package. I think that that was very helpful. But what I was saying is when people are looking for jobs or looking at careers, they're not sure of the differences. Would you explain Sure. If you are very like a science inclined, go ahead, be a chemist. And if you are like a very seriously loving science and the best place is actually corporate companies like Fortune 500s because they will have their bioscience department rather than a smaller company. And if you are the creative type, you know, you want to have something different, then you work in product development. Product development is like the liaison between marketing and R&D. And if you just want a very comprehensive training, it's kind of jack of all trade type skills work with the contract manufacturer it's a good foundation step that is such a great tip because i have spoken to a lot of young people in science which i'm sure you do more than i do that look at the cosmetic industry as a destination but they're not sure of all the opportunities and you broke that down so wonderfully and i thank you for that one of the things that i see is that lots of people come to you, like lots of magazines and digital brands and such come to you when there's beauty award time to analyze products, to comment on a trend. How did you develop such a strong relationship with the media? That one was by accident. (laughs) Because remember, I had a brand with a partner, 
in a skincare brand, and we used to pay PR left and right on retainers and got us nowhere because we didn't understand the game. But then those editors found out, oh, you are a cosmetic chemist. <laughs> Can we pick your brand? <laughs> so that's how the relationship started, actually, from eight years ago. That's great. What do you think the unsung skill is to do what you do? The ability to evaluate product performance. That is absolutely critical. And whoever you work with, that particular chemist, he or she must be willing to try whatever he or she formulate on their own skin or hair or whatever the product is for. And you'll be surprised how many chemists are not willing to put their products on their own body. Why not? Well, consider this. If you work for a contract manufacturer, you're working practically with 8 to 10 clients a day. It's really like a job. They're not going to be doing all the product evaluation on their own. However, if you don't do that, you don't know what your client is complaining about when they say techy of a product. Do you understand what techy is? Do you understand how are you going to make it less techy? So it's very, very critical that you use the product. Considered men, but have never seen so many men in foundation. <laughs> you know, it's like, do they wear it? No. <laughs> That's fantastic. Funny and also a little scary. I mean, you can try it on your arm, etc. But if you're not really knee deep and engaged with the product, how can you really see performance? And how many clients as a consultant do you take on at a time? How many projects do you manage? Uh, about three to four. And what's the average length of time that it takes? If I'm coming to you saying, Ginger, I want to start a skincare line and I don't have my brief. I like to compare product development as having a baby. From concept to having a birth, it's nine months. So for the first trimester, what you are doing is really come up with the concept, doing competitive analysis, figuring out where are you going to be selling the product, figuring out your packaging. And the second trimester is you'll be doing the formula testing. You put the ingredients together, then you start stability testing, micro-testing, package testing. And the third trimester is you do a pilot scale up. And you will also be preparing going for PR because a lot of the press, you really want three months ahead of time. And then you'll be start doing some sampling. So from concept to launch, ideally, it's nine months. Of course, you can have a preemie. But you take your own chance. The earliest you can do is six months. Anything before that, I don't recommend. I'm going to tell you, that is the best explanation I have ever heard. So entrepreneurs, take it from Ginger, think of it as having a child. Nine to 10 months is really what you should give it. And then you're growing it, you know, like an infant. Correct. <laughs> wow. That's a really great point. Do you miss corporate at all? Would you ever go back to corporate? No. <laughs> Why not? Too many red tape. You spend more time playing politics than doing what you truly love. Well, you got the MBA. What made you get the MBA, though? Well, I got my MBA because I was climbing the corporate ladder also. In order to climb the corporate ladder, you need advanced degree. And because of my culture, it's good to have a master's degree. So I just got it. 
But honestly, MBA did not help me in terms of building my business. I have been taking a lot of different classes from people who truly made it, like Damon John, Grant Cardone. And it's night and day difference, the amount of education and training I got from them instead of going for an MBA. I am not saying the public education is not good. It's just saying if you want the real deal, if you are truly an entrepreneur, you need to see how people work with entrepreneurs rather than learning from teachers in MBA schools. That's very true. Now, how did COVID and the pandemic impact your business? Not at all. <laughs> Actually, better. Last year was my best year ever because I have so many people kind of woke up saying, I can no longer work with the corporate. There is no security blanket because when things going down, you are the first one to go. You need to have something of your own. So I have more clients than ever last year. Wonderful. I want to talk to you about the AAPI the backlash against the AAPI community and first your reaction to that and then the AAPI community and the BD industry and what the BD industry needs to do to support it. Well, I think it's just silly. I mean, nobody is really (laughs) responsible for what's going on. I mean, it's not controllable and it's ignorance. If because of the virus, you're going to be condemning the whole entire ethnicity. It's just like a pure silliness. Yeah. When we talk about diversity, we're not always just talking about darker skin tones. We're talking about the entire BIPOC community. So are there areas of the beauty industry where you think that there needs to be more understanding of the AAPI community needs? In the heart, it's very interesting. Let's take a look at Shiseido. Shiseido is originally a Japanese brand, but they were able to adapt to America and making it so inclusive so Americans can use it. And I think it's really also regional. Because if you're going to say, well, we really need some special brand for Asians, but where are you selling it at? The Asians are in America. So I think what she said though is doing is actually fabulous. They cover both Asian community and also American communities as well. So you're saying that what you like about what she said is that they were true to themselves, but they expanded their customer base. Correct. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. What was the first beauty product you ever remember buying? Estee Lauder Beautiful Fragrance. Because I couldn't wear makeup when I was a teenager in Taiwan. So fragrance I could wear. What's the most recent beauty product you purchased? That would be a repeat purchase. That would be E-Cosmetics, their CC cream. Because it's, to me, it's a commodity already. I need that. It's like daily use. <laughs> It's like my toothpaste. (laughs) Wow. That's really saying something. Yeah. What's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? You'll nourish or perish when it comes to skincare. I love that. What trend did you do when you were younger that you laugh at now? Moisturizing, because remember my mom owned the Shiseido Boutique. I have all the access to all the lotions. So I'm like, uh, put moisturizer on myself all over. And I actually have a huge breakout because I was a teenager. And, you know, later on, it's just like I have oily skin because I use so much moisturizer. (laughs) Who was your beauty icon growing up and who is your beauty icon now? 
My beauty icon was Estee Lauder, and if it wasn't her, I probably would not be so decisive that I want to be in this industry. Because yes, I do have the early influence of my mom. I did have the influence of coming to America, seeing how people have beautiful makeup on their skin. I also have read Estee Lauder's biography when I first came to America. I was like, wow! I was so inspired by her. I was like, I want to be like her one day. Did you ever get to meet Mrs. Lauder? I have not, but I did meet Mr. Leonard Lauder, and I work with him, and I have many pictures with him too. If someone wanted to follow in your footsteps, what advice would you give them? Progress over perfection. Just start, because there are a lot of people say, "Oh, I need to wait until I have this. I need to wait. I have that." Like when people come to me for consult, I always ask them, "Do you already have a concept or anything?" And it's like, oh no, I haven't had anything, and I need to wait. I was like, no, that's why I'm here for. I'm here to help you to solidify the concept for you to clarify things for you. That's great if they want to be a client, but what if they want to be you? Just be open and follow your passion. Remember, I did not start in cosmetic chemistry. I started in a food company, but I kind of navigated my way into cosmetic chemistry. You cold and networked your way into jobs. What do you think the secret of networking is? The secret is you give before you ask. Actually, it's a very turn off. A lot of people when they come to me, yes, they are very intentional. They will ask for something, but you always have to think about what's in it for the person you're asking things for. And you never really want to be transactional. You want to be more transformative, so people are willing to work with you to help you. Transactional versus transformational—that's a word right there, people. You do not want to be transactional. People are not transactions. That blows my mind. That often people do want something and they want it immediately when they quote unquote network, but that's not networking. And I think you made a really, really important point on that. And it's a great place for us to end, Ginger. I cannot thank you enough. For your expertise in so many areas of beauty, you really laid out not only some career paths for people who are in STEM or have some creative ideas about beauty, but people who want to be entrepreneurs, when they listen to this, will understand how to start a company, where to start, what contract manufacturing is, and that is a gift. So, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top, and the most important step is the first one. So start right here.